0: Welcome to the podcast, I Love My Job. Apart from making this podcast, one of the things I love to do is to play my clarinet. And today I'm talking to Jean Johnson, who's lucky enough to do that for a living. Playing music with other people is the thing that brings me more joy than anything else. Jean was my clarinet teacher and sitting side by side in her living room for my one-hour lesson was a huge highlight of my week. I wanted to find out from Jean what it's like to do something you love for a living. We talked over Zoom, and as you'll soon find out, it had been a while since we'd seen each other.
1: Well, hello. Oh, hello Jean. Hi, it's been ages. How are things? Good, yeah, good. How are you? Uh, I'm really good, actually, yeah. It's yeah, I uh, managed to stay healthy through all of this, and um, oh, yeah. I made the most of my time, you know. Um, yeah, during lockdown, I I did a bunch of stuff I normally wouldn't have time to do. I did have work lined up with the SCO, and then that got canceled. That was the very last week of Scottish restrictions, if I remember um and they just i guess the orchestra just felt it couldn't go ahead Uh, but then since then everything else has been sort of back up and running and yeah i've got work this week with the seo actually and um and then right after that i've got a recital later in March into April, my trio will do some touring. Oh, and uh, a trip to Berlin to do a Messian quartet. So, like, it's roughly back to normal, I would say.
0: Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of my podcast.
1: Oh, I'm Um, delighted to. So, I guess the
0: biggest question I've got for someone like you who plays, plays music in front of an audience for a living... Is what is it like to to deal with the nerves that that must come with that? Um, For instance, let's say you're you're at the the Usher Hall in Edinburgh, you're playing with uh, say the R S N O, you're the guest clarinetist, and you're I don't know three minutes in to the piece of music, and you know you have a clarinet solo coming up. Um, It's getting closer and closer. What what are the thoughts that go through your head at that point in time?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, So like, yeah, so there's, let's say there's a solo coming up and maybe, maybe it's one that's not terribly difficult. Right. And then, uh, you, it doesn't give you fear. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I, I love to seize those, you know, and, and just it's like, oh, it's my time, you know, yeah. I get to sing my song. <laughs> um, but then there are the other kind, <laughs> there's the other kind of solos, the ones that go, oh, boy, here we go. And the heart goes, and, yeah. you know, you, you start kind of, you know, get a little uh, wound up, so those are the, maybe the more interesting ones in a way. How do you, how do you tough it out? How do you get through it? How do you get through it? Well, you still have to come back to, I've still got to make some music. I've got to communicate something. And, um, well, I've learned some skills. You know, one of the skills I have is the more complex it is, the more technically demanding. Yeah, I just calm my body as much as I can. I drop the shoulders. I even, I even kind of lower my eye gaze. I just I just kind of get my body soft. You probably remember from lessons, soften the yeah. hand, yeah. all that stuff, right? There's that. And there's also the self-talk and you got to give yourself a pep talk. You can do it. You know, go do it. <laughs> you know, you've practiced it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Follow the plan. Be in the moment, you know, very yoga, right? Be in exactly the moment you're in. <laughs> so everything in you, if, if you've done perfect practice, the possibility of perfect recall and recollection and performance is there. Um, there's another thing, and that's uh, in order to let go of the fear. So this is part of it, too, is how do you let go of fear? i think it comes down to something essential like you have to be willing to to make a you know bit of a fool of yourself in front of people you have to not worry about a a bit of of embarrassment Mm. or let it affect your self-worth you know a lot of these things come down to self-worth and uh, yeah self-esteem and you just have to keep it in perspective it is Mm. music Mm. right? It's not brain surgery. Mm. So if you can find that perspective, somehow, that if a mistake happens, it really isn't the end of the world. So then what is there to worry about? If you no longer fear making a mistake, then you can just dive in, you know, go for it and, and just reproduce what you've practiced.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think also, getting those moments those solos to come out the way you want them to it comes down to the quality of preparation Mm. You 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 simply cannot expect it to go right if you haven't really made sure of it you know you have to practice it in with a lot of repetitions accurately and you have to override any mistakes you may have made along the way with, you know, 5 to 10 times more repetitions of it the accurate way than the wrong way. Yeah. And that starts from the beginning. That starts from make uh, making the neural pathways to begin with. So from the start you have to put it in accurately so that the correct, you know, synapses go down this pathway and when you make a mistake, you create a new path. Then if you play the same mistake again, you're reinforcing the wrong path. So all those things are really important they it all goes into that moment of the solo coming out the way you want it to come out oh that's really interesting
0: I I remember talking about some of those things in our lessons but when it's a solo that you you know you like really hold close to your heart the you...
1: solo from our uh, Rachmaninoff's second symphony comes to mind that's funny because that's what
0: I had in my head as well. The other yeah. one that I love is, but it's more like a duo, I suppose, a duet, is the Hebrides Overture. I just. Oh,
1: that's so beautiful.
0: It almost makes me cry when I hear it. Yes. Yeah. And
1: there's another one. It's just, it's almost unattainable to play it the way that I dream of. Um, oh, really? it's, the, it's the Beauty and the Beast movement from Mother Goose Suite, Revel. The last time I played it was <clears throat> with the SEO, actually, Scottish Chamber Orchestra. And I remember the conductor saying something like, there's all kinds of ways you could interpret it, but he said some, maybe something sadder. And so to approach it, then you just capture something sad, something a bit sadder, you know, and then just play from the heart. You have to go somewhere and in and, and tell the story, speak yeah. the story. Yeah. Same thing like with the Rachmaninoff. Like you have to remember what it's like to be in love. <laughs> you have to grasp the feeling of being in love. Yeah. And, and embody it as you play it.
0: I I thought that you would say, no, no, you can't really play from the heart. There has to be like twenty percent of concentration to to kind of keep your head in order to technically do what you want to do. But then I guess, like you said, it depends on the complexity of the solo.
1: I think you've also, at that point, you really should have done all that preparation yes. so that really when the moment comes, all you have to do is communicate. So actually you really should be able to let go and just mm-hmm. be that be that character, be, be whatever it is you're trying to communicate or speak that story. Mm. sometimes you can even find a narrative occasionally i've there have been times occasionally i've written myself a little narrative that goes with what i'm playing i don't do that all the time but occasionally if i'm struggling a little bit i just kind of listen to it what's going on here what's this about what did the composer have in mind here Mm -hmm. what's this And, and you've got all these great habits from a lifetime of playing you've got the you know you don't have to think of every finger that goes down or every breath you take, these things happen because you have good habits. So yeah, sometimes when we're nervous, we lose our good habits. But then, you know, a really fantastic preparatory breath helps so much, you know, breathing, maybe not everyone will agree with what I'm saying. But I know I do a few breaths in advance in and out in and out. And it's the out breath that really kind of, you know, cleanses you from all the any badness that's creeping in, getting in the way of you making your best music.
0: And but that's all that's all about you as a clarinet player. What about when you? Because some people might not realize, I guess, that in a typical orchestra or if every orchestra there's two clarinets. What is it like though if you're, for instance, with a clarinetist? that you don't necessarily know, but the dynamic between the two clarinetists must be quite a unique, I don't know, relationship. Sometimes it's not for very long. It might yeah. be just one concert.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say more often than not, there's a good bonding. Because it's like, it does, it's not 100%, but more often than not, I, the situations I've been in, it's... um sort of instant friendliness, instant mm-hmm. friendship, you know, and of course you're going to connect to some players better than others. And Maybe if you're sitting next to a player that you don't play in the same style as them, you just do your best. You know, I'm aware when I'm playing first, I'm aware that they're trying to fit into whatever, you know, I'm doing. could be crazy intonation or rhythm or God knows what whatever. And, you know, I, I, I have a lot of admiration for, um, when they're doing their job really well, because it means there's that great, uh, they're, you know, empathizing in a way they're, they're connecting, they're, they're connected to me. And I do try also to connect to them too. Nowadays with coronavirus, we're sitting further apart. Oh, it's yeah. hard to feel yeah. you breathing together as a section. It's a little bit more, uh, it's more distant. Yeah. It'll go back in time. To when we're sitting right next to each other and you can really truly breathe together you can kind of feel each other's feelings and tension And Ooh. you know it is magical when you really lock in with someone yeah i remember you know when i was younger and playing a lot more second um i got such satisfaction out of being that perfect second for somebody you know the really beautiful ringing intonation when it happens in these intervals it's incredibly satisfying when you're absolutely together Mm. in all the little subtle details you know what the audience might not even notice but you feel that satisfaction that you know you and your partner were you know making you know
0: artistry do you think I'm sure the answer is yes but I'm intrigued by what you think do you think the the dynamic between players on a stage, no matter how many we're talking about, it could be a trio or a whole orchestra, um, whether they know each other, whether they've spent a lot of time together, does it change the music?
1: It certainly can only help the music when there's a good dynamic. Because then everyone's, you you don't feel judgment, you Mm -hmm. know, I think, and even going back to what we're talking about first and second and stuff like that no second player wants to feel that ear of judgment, you know, they want to feel invited. And if in, in more broadly in the orchestra or with your group. Yeah. I I think if you have a good dynamic, it's that dynamic where everyone feels accepted Mm -hmm. and then that's just going to lower the fear, isn't it? If you, if you feel accepted, you're not going to be as nervous or afraid, like you've got to, every time, you know, impress people all over again or whatever.
0: And in your experience, when you were less, when you were a younger player, when you were still starting out, do you think that feeling of acceptance, was it quite a subtle thing that you felt or?
1: You know it, you feel it because that person, let's say they're, you know, if you're in the second seat in their first, you feel it because they share stories with you. The little, little subtle jokes. There's always the, you know, the jokes, or um, maybe it, it, the odd acknowledgement when things sound really good. You might feel that a- approval. It's just a general feeling that we're we're a team and that you've been accepted on the team. I think you can also feel when it's not working because you feel that wall. Mm, mm. Easily feel a wall when someone is not liking what you're doing. Mm you don't feel that friendliness because that person is feeling uh, frustrated that it's not the way they want it to be. And they don't quite know how to, <laughs> you know, well, or, or you get the, you get talked to yeah. know, a lot. And that's what you you don't, you don't want. Uh, it's it's not good if you're in a situation where you're being babysat or where you have to babysit uh, someone who's a younger player. Yeah. Although I am. Um, I'd like to think as I've gotten older, I've been much nicer towards younger players, you know, just a bit of empathy, Mm. you know, they're trying so hard, and they're doing their very, very best. And they also they're really keen to please and, you know, get their career off to a good start, and they really care what you think, and they might just hang on to Mm. every word. And that's something you have to be really mindful of, you know, you might. Sometimes I can be really blunt and maybe even undiplomatic. And I've, you know, just had to make sure that, you know, they don't know I don't mean anything bad by it necessarily. And they might go away. They might remember that for 20 years. <laughs> you know, it could be awful. So yeah. you have to make sure you're really kind. And then when you're dealing with someone that's very, very experienced, you know, then it's super easy. In fact, you hardly have to say anything most of the time, you know. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting.
0: The other thing um, I wanted to ask you about was uh, playing in the duo that you play in with with Stephen, who's your husband. In what way is that different when you play in a duo with with Stephen versus if it were someone else at the piano?
1: Um, You're definitely less polite when you're (laughs) in the house. You kind of just say things sometimes any old way and... Um, Whereas if you're, I mean, it's happening right now, I'm preparing a recital with a fabulous pianist, uh, Danny Driver, and um, I feel very comfortable with him. You know, it's not that, it's just, I don't know how to say it any differently, just, you know, you would be, your professional person comes out, you know. I don't know, there have been times working with Stephen, I've probably been a bit more stubborn than I would be working with someone else. Yeah, um, maybe I've eventually let go that some of that stubbornness. Uh, Maybe sometimes not. But um, I think when it's with someone who's not your spouse, (laughs) the openness to trying something new is kind of there a little sooner. Mm, I don't know. Do I mean that? I think I mean that. I've certainly been pretty stubborn with Stephen before. Yeah, I'm trying to be less like that and i think i'm doing i think he might even agree that i'm a bit uh, less stubborn than i used to be um definitely trying to be more open to trying things um he and i are just a little bit different uh types of musicians i think a lot of keyboardists they're so naturally or much much more natural at the whole structure thing whereas being a melody instrument you know i run the risk sometimes uh, of being a bit too singery you know uh, back in back in the dark ages i was a singer you know i wasn't sure if i'd be a singer or a clarinetist so i i have holdover instincts from that some good some very helpful and some maybe not so helpful and it, you just have to keep that in check but because of that you know i'm i love uh, i love the line i love the melody i love a moment. Um, you have to be careful that you don't choose too many moments to linger over. Otherwise, the music kind of just gets uh, stuck and bogged down. It doesn't It doesn't actually flow. It's not the magic you think it is. Yeah, sometimes. right. Okay. Whereas, um, you know, Stephen, I don't know, he's helped me. Uh, I, I think playing with him has helped me maybe, uh, as his teacher used to say, not uh, avoid stopping at every lamppost, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> Try not to stop at every
0: lamppost. But what about when you're actually playing? It's your your Ah, concert has started. That must be, that must also be very different to when it's not. um,
1: There's an enormous amount of trust there. Like you just like Stephen and I, we have our repertoire. Like Mm. someone could knock on the door and go right now, you've got to play your Brahms sonatas now. And we would just play them and we would absolutely know them. And, we could just play and let go. We know exactly what the others mm. like. Um, yeah, we mm-hmm. there's an enormous amount of trust there. Mm-hmm. It must be amazing, and that makes performing together really, really fun and um, and it's easy. Yeah, it's not. There's not stress in it. Yeah. When we first started playing together, you know, he, you know, people didn't really know who I was in, in Britain, and sort of everyone knows who he is, right? Um so there was that pressure there, like, what's, what's she playing with him? You know, how, how did she get to, you know, you have to kind of earn your keep a little bit, or I put that pressure on myself, like, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I'm better, yeah. better, better yeah. This step up here and <laughs> make sure it at least seems like, um, you know, deserving of, of this, uh, you know, getting to play with this marvelous pianist. But I think now it's pretty accepted by everyone <laughs> that we're, at least an occasional duo. Yeah. yeah. And can I ask you um, just, I'm sure there must be concerts that when
0: it's just you playing, it must be amazing to be able to come home. And if something hasn't felt good, to be able to speak to, you know, to be able to speak to your husband who's going to understand more than a lot of people what, what, you so he's certainly been on. there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah he's, he's certainly been there in all those situations as well. Yeah. Definitely.
0: And do you feel like in terms of, you know, because it's quite a unique thing to do for a living, do you feel like most of your friends, your close friends, because they understand, end up being musicians or not necessarily?
1: Well, it certainly used to be that way. Uh, I used to have a real fear of connecting to people who weren't musicians because I just didn't know what to say. I I literally had nothing else I was able to talk about. Because you go through music school and all that with your music blinders on and then I moved abroad to work in the orchestra in Singapore for a while in the start of my career and um I don't know it, it was still music blinders yeah. <laughs> um, I started getting into fitness then too so it was a little bit of that but I just didn't know what to say to anyone that wasn't in the in the lifestyle, you know, in a way, in the profession or in the lifestyle, or didn't have connection to music making. And I finally started to get over that a bit. I wanted to, it was important to be able to talk to more types of people than that. And um actually the the, going to the gym was great for that, getting involved in fitness classes and stuff. It's a real leveler for people. You got Mm -hmm. a doctor to your left and a flummer to your right and you know and everything (laughs) in between and so that was good and you start to go out socially with these people eventually usually the the culture around here is that the instructor sort of makes a night out happen at some point and that's where you get to talk to people socially and I think that really helped me and realizing hey look I'm making people uh, real friends people I really like um and they're not even musicians. <laughs> it's like, it did start to happen eventually. And now um, some of my, of course, some of my dearest friends are musicians, but some of my dearest friends uh, are not. But why,
0: I'm curious about why you felt like it, there was, it was imbalanced if they were all musicians. Did you, in, in your own mind, just feel like that was a bit closed-minded?
1: It was what was coming naturally, but you felt like you were being a bit closed-minded? or It was my own fear, I think. I just felt like I didn't have much else uh, in me to talk about. It was just my whole everything yeah. was just music, music, music. And, you know, I hadn't really branched out into... I mean, I didn't even know what people were watching on TV. I didn't know what was going on in the news. So it was just kind of a fear of being caught out for being a bit, uh, I suppose, empty outside of music. It just, when you, you just to make it in music, to make it, it's just so competitive. It's insanely competitive. You just have to devote literally just about every waking moment you've got. Yeah. to the cause, you know, or else someone else is, someone else is that passionate about it and they're doing that and they're going to get the stuff you want.
0: I never thought about the fact that it would be, a, you know, a side effect would be that you end up living in quite a bubble because you're living and breathing music. And yeah. naively I, I, I think, oh, but that must be amazing. But obviously, you know, looking from the outside, it's a way you get a totally different perspective
1: it has mostly blessings you know it's mostly wow what a what an amazing life really to to make music for a living if as long as you're able to actually make that living doing it it's absolutely wonderful in many ways charmed you know i feel so grateful that um i've been able to to do this and um I still strive to get better all the time. I'm still always analyzing, always learning, always thinking, oh, I just made that improvement. I I did this little tweak. I pulled my corners back a little more and look at that. Oh, you know, I still get excited by the tiny, subtle things about pedagogy. And that's, that's something that's developed over my career is I went from someone who had like no pedagogy. I just kind of blew into the thing and went with feelings, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know didn't think much about how the how the machine actually worked. The machine of the clarinet, you know, yeah. you start to think about it, you and you re- you realize, ah, oh, doing this little tweak, it creates that sound, and and that all start and and it has this musical effect. So it might start off sounding rather boring. But if it makes your tone a lot more ringing and and beautiful, well, that's a musical result. So I've gotten quite into pedagogy. And also, I suppose that goes hand in hand with all the yoga and stuff. Um, Just for your listeners, we've talked a little bit about fitness here and there. I've been doing uh, fitness instructing for, I think, 12 or 13 years now. Um, actually, to be honest, I, I I'm doing a little bit less of live classes out there in the world. Um, partly because I recognized I you know clarinet things are kind of on the up, and that just requires more practice time. So there's that intensity again. Yeah. There's the pulling back of um, other world stuff. Yeah. So that I'm enjoying having much more time on the clarinet. I'm actually really loving it. It makes me feel really good to be you know, on form.
0: What was it like with COVID? You must have, did you miss performing live desperately? Was it like a hole in the heart?
1: Was it a hole in the heart? If I'm honest, no. (laughs) If I'm honest, no. It was like, oh, in a way it was a a, a sigh of like, you know, maybe I can just be me for a little while. I mean, there's nowhere to be me in other than my house, but (laughs) still maybe... Maybe it's okay if I just don't practice for a couple of weeks. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, of course you do miss it. And I'm, you know, I come from that culture of American positivity and we'll make the best of it. And no, don't lose that motivation. Keep, keep soldiering on. And there's a, there's something about there's something of that in me that's, that's still strong to the point where sometimes I don't let myself, I don't give myself time to myself very often. I tend to fill the whole day with uh, work sort of things. And um, it was nice to read. And uh, I didn't consider this overly work like, but learned some new repertoire just at a calm pace um sort of exploratory clarinet practice that doesn't feel like it had a great drive to go anywhere in particular but you know feeling feeling what it's like to play again a bit like yoga with the clarinet in your face you know (laughs) some people had a really difficult lockdown experience mine wasn't that bad honestly I, I actually I felt like I was occupied a uh, friend of mine and myself we started an online fitness business inspireonlinefitness.co.uk so yeah i didn't it didn't feel like a hole in the heart for a while if i'm honest um but that's not to say i didn't miss it i realized i did and and steven and i were asked to do something you know an online you know, live stream concert and it was just like yay, you know. It was wow, and and how lucky were we to be asked to do this? It's just like well, there's an ensemble that's a couple, you know, in in their own house, and oh yeah, of course, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So people know that 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 we are a, a duo, and so we were asked by I think it was Chamber Music Scotland to do one, and also the um, RCS asked us to do one.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: We were asked to do a couple things on radio, um, little musical offerings along the way. And I felt incredibly lucky to be asked to do those things. And I appreciated it so much because I have, I have these amazing colleagues in the orchestras who had absolutely nothing, you know, that they could do, you know, they didn't have a, necessarily have a chamber music partner living in their house with them so i was among the very lucky ones and i i never lost sight of that i'm really grateful for the mm. few opportunities i had to to keep making music during lockdown and to share that with other people yeah, yeah. And i hope i just hope that that made some other people happy along the way so yeah i bet it did absolutely yeah
0: okay well thank you so much jean for everything that you contributed
1: Ah, oh, it's a pleasure. they they were great questions, really thoughtful questions.
0: Well, that was really fascinating to interview Jean and get to ask her about her life as a professional clarinetist, and I was especially intrigued by how she talked about how incredibly competitive. It was when she was early in her career, and I'm sure that's she meant it's still the case. It just goes to show there are so many aspects of people's lives that uh, you, you don't necessarily see on the surface until they, until they explain the background to you. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Thanks for listening.